Good morning, everybody. Um, it's great to see you all, and I hope you all had a really nice time last Sunday, Sabbathing, whatever you did. I spent the weekend with um, being an auntie with a couple of my nieces, um, doing some stickleback hunting um, along a local stream, and that was great fun. Brought back many childhood memories of my own, <laughs> letting out some secrets here. But anyway, but it's great to be just to have the opportunity to do this. I don't often get the opportunity to do this um, because of the season of life that I'm in. I'm actually a sad soul and doing further studies at university, so my time is precious and limited. Um, but um, I just want to recap on a few weeks ago. Um, the, I think the last Sunday we were here, Matt spoke on the greatest command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And he took us on a journey that morning about loving God and loving others and loving our neighbor. And DA followed on from that, reminding us of the importance of being attentive to what the Spirit is saying and the value that underpins the life of community, being presence and God's presence with us and the importance of of encountering God. Um, God will show up if you show up. So over this past number of months, the Holy Spirit has actually been speaking to us as well as the community. And Ryan's preach was fairly challenging, thinking about the future, uh, church of the future. But he also touched on something that really struck me, was about the, the numbness of heart and how that can affect us in our own culture and society today. And then Stephanie shared a scripture recently from a passage in Revelations about our first love and the challenge to the church of lukewarmness. Um, And as we've been praying over these past months, 10 a.m. in the morning, and as a team, there's just been that real sense that God wants to break our hearts for what breaks his. And there have been many prayers from the book of Ephesians as well about our God being able to do more abundantly um, than what we could ever ask or imagine. So all of this has caught my attention. And as I've been praying and challenging my own heart, asking, help God, what do I speak on um, this Sunday? So I've felt stirred in particular to dip into the passage in Ephesians chapter 3. Because sometimes we can read scripture and sometimes we can pray prayers and we don't even really know what it is that we're asking or praying for. Um, So the book of Ephesians, I love this book. I'm reading it over the summer. If you want to grow in your walk with God, you want to grow in your prayer life, contemplative prayer, I'd encourage you to read this book. It is really, really powerful. Um, But Paul has an experience, an encounter with God through prayer. And he's experiencing something um, in his own personal life with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you can read about that in the, the first chapter of Ephesians. So his letter is sharing thoughts and truth about who we are in Christ and encouraging and inspiring us um, and the church and the people of God in that day. But it's, it, I think it's amazing that we get to dip in on Paul's prayer even today. Like, would he have ever thought that we'd be sitting here this morning reading his reflections and his thoughts? Um, so it's my prayer that in these days that each of us will have a fresh revelation of the greater purpose that God has for our lives and why he desires to pursue intimacy with us um, so that we will be able to reveal Christ to the world. So I'd like to invite us as a community in these days to consider going deeper in our encounter with him because without intimacy, there is no action. Without intimacy with the Father and desiring to partner and have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we will never experience the fullness of God working in our lives. Your life is a gift. It's precious and you only have one life to live for him. 
the well with our soul, within our souls is a sacred space and it needs intention and care. And it's vital that we keep drinking from the well of his presence or we will simply dry up. His presence with us should mean everything. My first experience of an encounter with God was at the age of six, believe it or not. Um, one morning in my room, um, I heard my, my name being called, Jillian, just my name being called. I got up and went into my parents' room thinking they'd called me and they looked at me and said, no, we didn't call you. So I went back to my bedroom. And it's funny, at the age of six, I still remember this occasion so vividly, so confused and thinking, well, whose voice was that that called me? Little did I know that God, even at that age, was pursuing a relationship with me and a life of encounter with him. And not long following that evening at my local church, um, a youth leader was sharing about Jesus and why he died for us um, from John 3 and 16, very familiar verse where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that night, something happened in my life. On my way home, my mum picked me up. She went into the shop, and I found myself sitting in the car, praying and talking to God. I realized at that young age that I actually needed a relationship with Jesus. I realized um, at that age my sinfulness and need of forgiveness and repentance. And from that moment, I started a journey of realizing that God was real. He wasn't, it wasn't a figment of my imagination. God was real and that Jesus was alive and that he was pursuing a relationship with me for a greater purpose. You see, our primary purpose in life is to reveal Christ to the world around us. And I want us to pause a moment before we get into Ephesians. And I'll ask you a question this morning. As you reflect back on that moment in your own life when you first encountered a realization of your need of God, what happened in that moment of your life? How did you feel? What did you sense? What drew you into your relationship with Jesus to follow him all the days of your life? You see, in that moment, something divine and supernatural happened in your life, happened in my life. You became part of the kingdom of God and the family of God, the kingdom of heaven broke in. But if I were to ask you today, how is your relationship growing with the Father what would you say? What moments of ongoing love and divine encounter have you been experiencing with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Have you been revealing Christ to the world around you? And I've just really felt this week as I've been praying that the Holy Spirit just really wanted me to encourage those of us um, who are believers in Christ here this morning to remind us of the importance of our salvation to remind us of the importance of that encounter with Jesus, to remind us of the importance of our own testimony um, and what our story is all about because that is such a key building block that's been put in place in our lives um, as we continue to journey the rest of our days with him and reveal Christ to others in the world. So hold on to that thought this morning. We'll come back to that. So let's look at Ephesians um, chapter 3, verse 14, 21. Um, it should be on a slide. Um, For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's take a couple of minutes, just look at the context. What was happening in this day? If we think of the ancient Ephesus, it actually was a city that was fascinated with magic and the occult. Um, And this helps to explain why Paul had such an emphasis in his letter to the Ephesians on the power of God over all heavenly authorities. And he had such an emphasis on Christ's triumphant resurrection and ascension as Lord over the church and over all things in in this age and in the age to come. And the young Ephesian believers in that day needed to be reminded of this truth so that they could stand firm in their allegiance to Christ's supremacy in a world and in their own lives. And there's been much scholarly debate around this letter, differences of opinion over who actually wrote the letter um, to the Ephesians and the purpose for which it was written. Most of Paul's letters were usually penned to meet a specific pastoral occasion. Um, For example, its companion um, in the book of Colossians was written to counter a heresy that started to make inroads into the church. But most scholars appear to conclude that there's no false teaching to which this letter of the Ephesians is aimed at. This letter has actually got a more general nature about it and is believed to be written for the purpose of instructing and edifying believers during that time over a wide area or number of churches. What is the central message of this letter? It's all about cosmic reconciliation and unity in Christ. And in Ephesians 3, we see Paul's second prayer. And this is the second prayer that we're dipping in on this morning. Written during a time of persecution and imprisonment. And Paul has been preaching that the gospel was for both the Gentiles and the Jews. A message for the whole of mankind. And even in this time of personal suffering, for the sake of the gospel, Paul shows concern for the Ephesian believers. And he's thinking about them. So what, what does Paul ask for in his prayer? He's asking, you see this on a slide, he's asking for the strengthening by the Spirit's power. He's asking to be rooted and grounded in love. He's asking for Christ's indwelling and the fullness of God. These are the things that he's praying for. But it's worth noting that um, scholars suggest that Paul's actually really praying and asking for one thing. He's asking for an empowering of the Spirit, which encompasses all of this and everything else in the letter to the Ephesians, if you read from chapter four to six to the end, explains the meaning and the result of this empowering work um, that unfolds in hearts and lives. So at the beginning of this prayer, we see the Apostle Paul bowing his head and he kneels down on his knees and he prays. He's reflecting a posture of humility and reverence before his heavenly father. He's deeply concerned for the believers, the Ephesians, people. Paul's had an encounter with God and a fresh revelation imparted upon him with a greater significance of the role of God's people and the church's role in God's cosmic plan for the whole of humanity. These young Ephesian believers have become part of a new temple in which God's spirit now dwells in hearts and where God's gracious saving work has brought the Jews and the Gentiles into one new humanity, a new family. 
And all of this has been accomplished through Christ's death and reconciling work on the cross. The Ephesians believers are standing on the other side of the cross, just like us today. The promised Holy Spirit has come, the early church has exploded, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in people's lives. And Paul's posture is one of great humility before the Father. This posture, actually in Jewish and early Christian prayer, was unusual. I find this interesting when I was reading about it. The common practice was to stand, to pray. Um, But on this occasion, there's a great sense of submission and humility of a worshiper who felt he could not stand upright before God. Paul was in great need. And he was bringing a request before a powerful king whom he called Father, whom he knew was indeed powerful and yet so loving. Paul believed that he would respond to his petition, even from the lowliest of servants. Paul had faith in God, a God who is the Father of believers, also the Father of Christ, God who is the Father of all humanity and with whom all things will be brought together in Christ, God who is Father of all. So Paul wants the Ephesian readers to be strengthened by God's spirit so that they may know intimately Christ's presence and the deep measure and richness of his love. And if all of this happens, everything falls into place. Paul's prayer is one of asking for divine power and his prayer of praise and thankfulness is to a God whom he knows has the power to give more than he could ever ask or mention and to whom all glory belongs. The word power and spirit are commonly associated in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they have the same meaning. The Spirit of God is the power of God at work in his people. And Paul prays that the Spirit will be so strong in influence at the center of their innermost being, where this renewing work takes place, that their hearts and their lives will actually show it, that they will reveal Christ to the world around them. And if we think of our innermost being, ourselves, It's our soul, our mind, our emotions and our will. It's the center of our being. So Christ indwelling um, indwells through the work of the Spirit and by the Spirit's work takes up residence in our hearts. Paul's prayer is that Christ will permeate one's whole being to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis. It's not just a once-off experience at their salvation. It's to be continually filled by the Spirit of God. He talks about this later in his letter, if we turn to Ephesians 5, where he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's really important to note here that when Paul prays for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith and to be empowered, it's really the same thing. Christ indwelling defines the strengthening role of the Spirit. It's not something additional to that strengthening. Therefore, to be empowered in our innermost being is actually Christ himself dwelling in our hearts. And the church is also a dwelling in which God's Spirit um, lives. 
And this description of the church also describes the believers that Paul um, mentions earlier in chapter two of his letter, where he says, for through him we have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Picture this for a moment. All of us, we're just like little mini temple carriers of the presence of God. And when we all come together as the church, how powerful is the army of God? Because he desires to manifest his presence among us as a people. I think this is absolutely amazing. If we can fully grasp um, how powerful our salvation is, and how powerful his presence is that he desires for us to carry him with us wherever we go. You see, it's salvation if we go back to our first encounter with God. Christ comes and already dwells in our hearts as believers. So Paul is really praying um, here for more. He's actually asking for more. There's so much more, and he's petitioning for more and for Christ's continuing presence in hearts. Therefore, Christ takes up residence in our hearts. He is at the center of our lives. Over all that we are, Jesus is at the center. But how does this indwelling happen? This indwelling happens through faith. We have to have faith in God. We have to believe. And we have to trust Christ that he makes our hearts his home. A couple of weeks ago when I was just thinking about this, one of my friends <laughs> sends me quotes often, like random stuff. I'll tell you, it's quite hilarious. But I'll tell you, she sent me this quote via Twitter into my message inbox with no, no other message at all. But it's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I have no idea where, where she got it from. But I want to read it because it kind of summed up what I was thinking about. Um, and it's, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I think that's quite amazing that our whole lives, you know, we're not just made for something small, we're made for something much bigger. But one of the goals of Christ indwelling is to establish believers on a firm foundation of love. For our lives are to be rooted and grounded in his love through the strengthening of our innermost being by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ indwelling in our hearts. We are established in love in order to be able to comprehend the greatness of his love. Love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow and the foundation upon which we are built. Love is the source of our salvation. Love is the ultimate goal. And when Christ permeates people's hearts, they know that they are rooted in love and from experiencing love, they are radically transformed. You see, love is central to our experience with Christ. So Paul's prayer is not a petition that the Ephesian readers may love Christ more, but they, they would actually understand Christ's love for them to be empowered so that they can grasp the dimensions of his love in their own personal experience. It's just not a head experience, it's a heart experience. 
And I love this illustration of the dimensions of his love that I came across during the week as well. His love is so wide, it covers the breadth of our own experience and reaches the whole world. His love is so long that it continues the length of our lives, it never diminishes. His love is so high, it rises to the height of celebration and elation. His love is so deep that it reaches to the depths of discouragement, despair and even death itself. Even when we feel shut out, even when we feel isolated or alone or forsaken, we can never be lost of God's love. We cannot escape his love for he pursues us. He is jealous for us. This is how much he loves us. Why would we not want to experience more of this empowering work of the Spirit in our lives? To experience his love, to know the deep measure of his love, to be strengthened by the power of his love a love that is so patient and kind, a love that does not envy, that does not boast, that is not proud, a love that covers over a multitude of sins, a love that has the power to change the world through transformed hearts and lives. Grasping his love is beyond our intellect. It's a personal knowledge, it's a personal experience, it's a personal revelation of God's love and his plan for redemption for the whole of the world. It's being empowered to grasp the dimensions of his love in our own personal experience, to know the love of Christ surpasses our intellect and our knowledge, for it is so much greater, no one can fully know it. And this is the mystery of the gospel. There is always more, more to experience, more to encounter. A God wants to take us beyond our present knowing. As we experience more of the immeasurable love of Christ in a personal way, we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, for it is actually God who fills us, who completes us. He is the perfection. So we are to go on keeping on, being continually filled with the Spirit. And the church although it is already recognized as the fullness of Christ, is to still keep on growing up into him until it reaches its fullness. So we are to grow into the fullness. We are to become spiritually mature. For one day we shall, we shall become like Christ, and when Christ returns, we will attain the fullness of love. So Paul's prayer is a petition It's a prayer for the Ephesians to become what they already are. It's like he's praying the prophetic promises of God for his people. He's making a petition and a declaration about the truth of the gospel. And as Christ followers, we too are expected to keep on growing daily towards that final fullness. As we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory into another, as we live this out today, we live in the tension between the present age and the age to come. And being filled with the empowering of the Spirit is an important means in the process so that we will become what God desires us to be and we will become spiritually mature to be able to manifest Christ's love to the world. Paul ends his prayer with a liturgy of praise. Our Father's giving exceeds our capacity for asking or even imagining. He can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He has got so much more for us. There's no limit to what he can do. The same power that raised Christ from the dead desires to move in and through our lives today. The big question is, do we actually believe this? 
Do we desire more of what the Father has to give us? For he desires to give us so much more than what we could ever ask or imagine. He desires to strengthen us, to equip us for the works of the kingdom. You see, if we get this foundational truth and allow this to permeate our innermost being, I believe this will radically change how we walk with Jesus from an experience of dead religion to personal encounter and intimacy with the Father. We need to practice his presence and understand what the Father imparts to us spiritually is not actually for us to personally keep to ourselves. He gives so that we will have the strength to stand, the strength to walk, the strength to serve, the strength to follow him, the strength to keep on revealing Christ's love to the world around us. Wow. What a God. Doesn't that do your heart good this morning? Doesn't that lift you up into a place? Or not? Does my heart good? It's the truth of God's word. So at the age of 18, I'll share quickly another story. At the age of 18, when I was in Scotland, um, it's, it's, it's something that sticks out in my mind because I feel it shaped the rest of my walk with God. I um, was surrounded by a bunch of Christians and non-Christians, but Christians that were on fire for God. I mean, my whole Christianity was shaken upside down, inside out. Um, I actually thought, what the heck am I doing with my life? Um, God really brought people into my life that were on fire for him. I mean, they were experiencing things... Um, that, that I had never even thought was possible. But there was one night I came home um, from university, um, sharing a flat with a couple of other um, people. They were all in their bed, and I was coming in at midnight um, from a, a night of, of worship and, and prayer. And I was just hungry for more of God. I didn't know what the more of God was. Um, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit just came into my room. I don't share this story often because it's something happened in the secret place. But I experienced the joy of salvation. And for any of you who know me, I sometimes have a laugh. Sometimes the laugh comes out. Um, uh, but yeah, I just experienced the joy of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit just came on me. I had an encounter with God. Um, and start, as I was praying, just bubbled up and started praying in tongues, another language. And I was like, just did not have a clue what had happened to me. Because nobody had taught me this. I never learned this in my home church in this nation. So this took me on a journey with God. Um, and I would say that the pattern of my life over the past 20 years has been not just a once-off encounter with God. There are times and occasions when the Holy Spirit just comes to empower, to strengthen, to revitalize, to heal, to restore, to keep me keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, following Jesus and sharing his love with the world around me. And this isn't just, Paul's talking about, this isn't just for Paul. This isn't just for me. This is for all of us here. God has got so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Our asking is too limited. So there are three takeaways that I have for us. There's so much in this. Like I could talk for hours probably about this kind of stuff, but there's three takeaways that I've landed with this morning, if we can take these away. One is prayer. Two is the power of the Holy Spirit. And three is love. You know, Paul's prayer was from the highest point of view. 
Um, and that highest point of view for him was a realization of what God had done in Christ. His revelation and encounter with God revealed more insight about, um, about this and compelled him to pray for the young Ephesian believers um, in anticipation of the day, that, well, that day when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul encourages us now to bow our knees and to pray before the Father. And this prayer is an invitation and a call to all of us to actually wake up and to realize that God's unanticipated power to effect change in our lives um, in keeping with the power that's already at work in our lives from our day of salvation. Um, our Heavenly Father has so much more um, for us and he has so much more for us to experience and encounter through prayer and worship. These are keys to unlocking more of the empowering work of the Spirit in our lives and bringing a greater revelation of who God is and his purposes for the church and for our lives. So if prayer and worship are so vitally important to our own personal spiritual health, to our own soul care and our innermost being, um, and also corporately for us as a community, surely we should have a desire to make this a priority in our lives. Prayer builds community. Prayer builds faith. Prayer breaks down walls and barriers in our own lives. Prayer inhabits the presence of God. And if we really want to see more of the Holy Spirit's power working itself in our own lives, then we need to get into the secret place. We need to get on our knees and pray. If we want to see a church that's on fire for God and as our first love, then we need to get on our knees and pray. If we want to be a part of a community who are strong in faith and experience of God's love, then we need to get on our knees and pray. And if, what, if, what would happen if we took Paul's prayer to aid our prayer life in these days? What would happen if every one of us in this community started to pray and ask for more of the empowering work of the Spirit? I wonder what would happen. And I'm just going to leave that thought with you. So the second takeaway is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes as a gift. Um, and what the Spirit seeks is willing hearts to hear. For the Spirit comes by hearing. And Paul's prayer challenges us about our own lack and our need of more of the Spirit's power to be at work in our lives and in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is a beautiful gift given to us, not to be feared, not to be mis misunderstood. He desires to be our friend and our counselor, the one who abides in us, the one who is able, enables us to discern and know the will of the Father. He desires to part, us to partner with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to listen to his voice and to follow his leading and guidance. He helps us to grow up. He helps us to become more spiritually mature. And in our own brokenness and fragility, we are prone to failure and sin. But the big question is, do we really care enough? Do we really care enough about our innermost being to care for our souls? Are we discontent enough with ourselves that will lead us to move forward and change? You see, the Holy Spirit will not empower when there's not a willingness to partner with him. Our hearts need to be open. He does an empowering work in our lives for the purpose of revealing the love of Christ to the world. And he's seeking out a people that he can trust to do the will of the Father. 
And the final takeaway is the centrality of love. We've been singing about this this morning. Um, love is central to the gospel. Love is our foundation. And we all need to continually grow in our love and our personal experience and knowledge of Christ's love for us. As we experience his love, as we grow in his love personally and as a community, our love for him will increase. Our love for one another will increase. And our love for those who do not know Christ will increase. Maybe then as we grasp his love for us, we will understand more about it, what it means to have our, bro- our hearts broken for what breaks his. The greatest sacrifice that was ever made was when God sacrificed his only son for the whole world. Bearing the shame of the cross, he died and he rose again. And the same resurrected power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that he desires to have move in our lives. DA asked a question a few weeks ago, what time is it? What time are we in? And I've been thinking about that for myself, for us as a community. Perhaps it's time for us to wake up spiritually. Perhaps it's time for the church to wake up in this nation to what the Father wants to do. Perhaps it's time for us to grow up spiritually into all that Christ would desire for us to be.